This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. Good morning. Welcome to RSCC. It is awesome to be with you guys today. We are in this series that we're calling 30 Pieces of Silver and looking at these ideas that there are certain things in our life and sometimes we don't realize it and sometimes we don't see it, but, but there are certain things in our life, we call it our price that we have and it, it could be comfort, it, it could be power, it could be status that we trade in and we may not say, it may not outright look like we're trading in for Jesus, but we're putting above Jesus. So we've been looking at that and we started week one and we looked at this idea where 30 pieces of silver came from and it came from Judas and who betrayed Jesus and his price was 30 pieces of silver and I asked you what is your price and last week Adam talked about this idea of you know you have to bear your own cross or carry your own cross and today we're gonna look at a, at something that I think we may not talk about a whole lot maybe you don't think about but it's a it's a price that we have and it's often something that we trade in for Jesus so I'll start this way I want to tell you a little story there's a problem that I have that I don't think is uh, it's not my fault right you know so I don't think it's my fault but I get a lot of flat tires. Anybody with me? Right? When, I, when I say a lot of flat tires, at least once a year or not more than once a year, I will have a flat tire on my motorcycle. Don't know how it happens. It just happens. Uh, and my cars, I'll have flat tires. So this last Christmas season, uh, when we went back to Illinois, Whitney, Natalie, myself, we went back to Illinois and we have this car. It's less than a year old has about 12,000 miles on it. And we were coming home after spending time with, with our family on, on Christmas. And it's that Midwest, uh, I call it that Midwest, like it was like gray skies and it wasn't really snowing, but it wasn't really raining. It was like a, a slush and it was like 33 degrees and, and we're driving and we're in the, the great land, the, the best spot in all of America between the Illinois and the Indiana border, right? You can see for miles and miles and miles, right? And all of a sudden I hear this little da-ding, da-ding, da-ding. What in the world is that, right? Yeah. So I look down and I see that there's the tire pressure thing is the tire pressure is going down, you know? It says this much tire pressure and this much tire pressure. So I pull over and I, I pull over on the shoulder and I look at it and, and, you know, it's raining, it's cold, it's freezing. And uh, meanwhile, you know, we have everything we've brought back to Indiana and Illinois, which Whitney packed way too much in the back of the car that I know that I have to get all to the front of the car before I ever get to change the tire. So I'm like, man, I can't change it on the side of this highway because no one on the interstate is getting over. Like, I'm going to get hit. I'm going to get run over. But the problem was, we're like, there's a hole in the tire somewhere, and we're losing air, and I don't have, I don't know how far we can go. So I'm like, we have to go to the next exit. They got to go to the next exit. And so we're just driving on the shoulder slowly, slowly, slowly. Luckily, we get to this little town exit that's called Vetersburg, Indiana. Anybody ever been there, heard of it, right? Maybe not. I don't, it doesn't seem like much happens in Vetersburg. But for us, luckily, it was from Julie Wilson's parents lived there. So Whitney called her and got her parents to come help us. Meanwhile, I'm moving everything to the front of the car. It's freezing. It, I got white joggers on. I'm like, I, I'm in this farm town. I got white joggers on. I look like the biggest city slicker of all time. And I'm out here. No one's helping us. I'm soaking wet. Like, we have this little donut tire. Like, it's a mess. And so they come pick Whitney up and eventually take her to Julie's sister's house. And we get to this little tire shop that doesn't look like it's even open anymore. But somehow it's open. And that takes about two and a half hours. And then we're finally back on the road. So we get driving. And about 20 minutes later, guess what? I hear the ding, the ding, the ding. So I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, no, 
no way in the world, right? I was like, so I got out and I looked at the tire that just got fixed. It wasn't leaking. So I went inside, looked at the dash and said, what tire's leaking? It was a tire on the same side, but the opposite tire. So now I'm like, man. So we called Julie's parents again. We go back there. We get it fixed again, right? And, and so it takes another an hour and a half, two hours. And, and you know, so this five-hour car drive takes about 10 and a half hours, which Natalie at this point is like, I'm done. Like, I don't know what you crazy people are doing. So she's screaming the entire time, right? It's just, it was a tire mess. You know, it's a, a, it was just a, a messy day, awful day. We had, we, you know, we're, I was soaking wet the entire ride home. It was it's a five-hour car drive, 10-hour car drive. It was awful. And it all started with two holes in our tires, one hole in each tire, right? It all started because a little hole leaking air. So what, what, why am I telling you this? Well, let's make this connection. Let's make this circle. It's frustrating when you don't know what's creating holes in your life. I didn't know what was creating holes in our tire. They said it was maybe a, you know, a piece of bone. I don't know. I think the guy was fooling me. Right? I don't know. But something was creating holes. But it's frustrating when there's something in our life that's creating holes. It's frustrating when when there's something that's keeping us from being who we want to be. It's frustrating when we're trying to get somewhere in life and be, become a certain type of person, but we're never quite there because there's a hole in our life. And we don't realize what that hole is, and we don't realize it's creating or it's letting air out of us, or it's keeping us from being fully inflated to where we need to be. And what happens in our life is, in our faith, there's holes. There's all types of holes in our life, and there's holes that are created. And what I want to say is, well, what I'm going to call these holes, you know, sometimes they're the, the temptations we give into, and sometimes they're the sins we give into, sometimes they're things that we, we put above God, and sometimes they're a price that we pay, right, that we talk about this series, but there, there's holes in our lives, and what the hole I want to look at today is this idea of our mindsets. I don't think our mindsets, or what I mean is the way we think, or the way we view people, the way we, we handle temptation, the way we handle situations, the way we think about certain things in our life, it, our, our mindsets are creating holes in our lives. And the idea of Christianity, or one of the ideas of Christianity, is that you, you realize that you're, you're, you're sinful, right? You realize that you have sin, and what sin brings is death. And at some point, you realize that you need a Savior. Like, so it's all processing that in your mind. You're thinking, I need these things. This, this is what's going on. You're processing that. And, and so you, you create your mindset. You say, well, I need someone to save me. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. But before I do that, or as I do that, I'm going to do something called repent. And repent is this word that means to change directions. It's not to just stop doing those bad things. It's literally to change your direction and change your mindset to no longer want to do these things anymore. And then you start giving your life to Christ. And you start living for Christ. And you can talk about sanctification and, and the, where the Holy Spirit's working in you and things that you used to struggle with, you no longer struggle with quite as much. And there's this process that's happening. But it all first starts with this understanding in our mind. But what happens, and we'll, we'll be real, right? Well, what happens is so many people say, well, you know, I follow Jesus, right? I follow Jesus. I love Jesus. He's my Savior. And I'll go to church on Sunday, and I'll listen to worship music, and I'll do all that. But nothing really changes. You treat people the same way you've always treated them. You act the same way you've always acted. You think the same way you've always thought. You do the same mean things that you've always done. Nothing in your life has changed. Your heart hasn't changed. Your thoughts hasn't changed. And what happens is you have a whole just leaking air in your life. And you may not realize it, but it never allows you to be who God truly has called you to be. It never allows you to fully go all in in your faith. It never allows the Holy Spirit to fully transform your life because right? you have a hole in your life. 
So what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at Jesus talking to his disciples. Now, his disciples, they were great, and they did a lot of great things. But they were human, and they were like us. And a lot of times, even though they were with Jesus, they didn't really always get it, right? They're, they're, in, the, they're in the proximity of greatness, but it didn't mean that they always lived out this greatness themselves. So they're in this situation. And so what's been going on, I want to set a scene for you, is Jesus has been doing ministry for about three, three and a half years. And he's gotten faith somewhat famous, somewhat popular in modern terms. It'd be TikTok famous. He'd be verified. He'd have that little blue check mark by him. And people want to be around him. And there's a couple reasons. One, when you feed people, when you give people free food like he did, people want to follow, right? They're like, hey, that dude can do a lot of things for food. We want food. Food is protection. So he was able to do that. But he also accepted, he, he met with people that other religious people wouldn't. And he would change their lives. And they saw that he, would, he could pr- perform miracles, could heal the, you know, heal the sick and, and give vision to the blind and make the cripples walk. And he literally raises Lazarus from the dead. People are like, man, we've never seen anything like him. So everywhere he went later in his ministry, he had crowds following him. Matter of fact, in the last week of his life, he's going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And they're going to cheer him. They're going to say, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they're going to praise him as king. It's going to be like Tom Brady in the Super Bowl parade, right? It's like they, they love him. And so Jesus had 12 disciples with him. And because they were with Jesus and they were Jesus' right-hand men and they were like his, you know, his boys, they become somewhat famous, if you will, as well. And so they're famous and they're getting status and they're getting power and they're getting labels and they're getting, because they had that proximity to greatness, they're getting to experience some of these great things. And if you couldn't get to Jesus, who was the next best thing? Maybe Peter, maybe John. Maybe even Judas. And so this, this power is getting to their head. They're popular and they want status. And they're like, man, this is awesome. We're awesome. They're drinking their own Kool-Aid. But meanwhile, they have holes in their lives, in their mindsets that's sucking air out of their lives. And they're kind of missing who Jesus is. So Jesus is aware of this. He's aware that these disciples have kind of, have missed the point. They're not getting it. They have some holes in their lives and they're missing what Jesus is saying. They're, they're not really fully understanding yet. So they're going to make their way to Jerusalem, and they're going to make their way to Jerusalem because this is how prophecy is going to be fulfilled, and they're going to Jerusalem for the Passover, and the Passover was this, this festival or this day of remembrance or this time of remembrance that the Jewish people would partake in each year, and it was to remember what God had done, how he had sp- spared all of them in Egypt when he killed you know, the, the Egyptian infants and babies, right? So that, that, that it was this moment of remembering that. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem with his disciples. That's what we're going to look at. And they're going to go to very much soon, the Passion Week, the last week of Jesus' life. So they're making this journey, and Jesus knows, I don't have long with these guys. I don't have much time with them anymore. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. I know what's going to happen. They don't know what's going to happen. So I, I need to make sure they understand a little bit better. So at some point on this journey, and maybe there's crowds with him, he pulls his people aside, his disciples, and, and he says this in Matthew 20. This is the third time he does this. So this is the third time Jesus says something in these very terms so they don't miss it. He says this. Now, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, like we talked about. On the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, which is him, Jesus, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he'll be raised to life. 
So Jesus, the third time he's done this, he says, listen, guys, I'm going to be killed. This is what's going to happen to me. This is, a, this is the destiny that we're, we're going to into Jerusalem. Right now, you think we're popular, you think we're powerful. All those people that are cheering us are going to turn on us, and they're going to kill me. And the disciples in this one are like, no, no, listen, what are you talking about? You're Jesus. You're famous. You raised Lazarus from the dead. You fed thousands of people. You, you, you walked on water. You got status. You got power. Look at the crowds who love you, Jesus. What are you talking about? So what they essentially do, what they always do, they just brush it off and they keep walking. Well, at some point, and you got to, this is what's cool about the, this kind of whole account. You got to put the gospels together to get the full story here. At some point, soon after, maybe right after Jesus gets done telling this, there's two disciples, John and James, and they go up to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, we got a favor to ask you. We, we want to ask you something. And so Jesus, being Jesus, like, okay, what do you want to ask me? And you find this in Mark 13, 10, 37. It says this. Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. What's that mean? Hey, Jesus, okay, I know you said you're going to be killed in, uh, you know, Jerusalem, and they're going to crucify you, and they're going to beat you, and you're going to flog you. We don't know if that's real, but after all that's over with, um, can we sit at your right hand? Can, can we, uh, you're number one, you'll have all the power, but can we just, uh, can we get some power too? Can we get some status too? Can we, can we sit, one of us sit at your right, one of us sit at your left, like, and when people see you, they see us, and we're famous like you, and we're powerful like you, and when you overthrow the Roman government, that's what they thought Jesus was going to do, and when you're king, and when you're ruler over everything, can we be like your left hand and your right hand men? All they're worried about, this is what we're going to look at today, all they're worried about is this, Jesus just said, I'm going to be killed, and all they're worried about are titles and status, titles and status. And Jesus says, hey, listen, you don't know. You have no idea what you're asking. You have no idea what you're asking to sit at my right hand and left hand. Because they missed it. They, they totally missed it. Well, at some point after this conversation, the rest of the disciples, remember, there's 12 of them, and two just asked to be the greatest disciples. And so there's 10. And they, these guys, they got egos. They're all famous, right? They all want titles. They all want status. They start bickering back and forth. They start arguing about, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. I did this, and I did this. And everybody's arguing about who's the greatest. So Jesus has to, once again, take his little boys, his, his crew, pull them aside, and teach them. And we're not going to read what he taught them, but I'm going to summarize it. And he says this. Listen, guys, I know you see people like Caesar, and I know you see people who are in charge, like the chief priests, and I, you see how the Gentiles live and how the Romans live, and, and you see how when people are in power, they boss everybody around. That when people are in power, they let it go to their head. When, they, when, when they're in power, they, they make all the rules, and Jesus like, how's that sound? They're like, yeah, that's what we want. That's, what, that's exactly what we want. And then Jesus says this, well, in my kingdom... You're not going to be like the people you see who are in charge. That's not what we're doing here. That's not what we're building. That's not the type of kingdom I'm talking about. And then he, he says, I, I kind of summarize it. I, I think he says something like this. I hope that one day, if you have status, and this is talking to us too, one day when you have status, one day you have authority, one day you have power, one day that you make more money than other people. And maybe that's us today. Maybe you have some status. Maybe you have some power. Maybe you have authority. And Jesus says, I hope one day when you get those titles and you get that status, 
that you don't act like the world, but you act like someone who's been with me. And when you have those things, I, I hope you don't let that go to your head. I hope you don't mistreat people. I hope you never think you're better than someone because of your bank account, the title you wear, or the job you have. I hope you never abuse power. You know, lately, if you, if you know this, there's been a couple of things that have been coming out. There's the Mar- Mars Hill podcast about a megachurch that was in Seattle. The Hillsong documentary that D- Discovery just put out. All about men in what, that got in power who are preaching the gospel, who acted like the world, but not as someone who's been with Jesus. So Jesus is like, I hope you don't act entitled. I hope you don't trade in power for how I called you to live. I hope you don't trade entitlement for how I called you to live. I hope you don't trade in money for how I called you to live. I hope when you have some type of status in any way in your life, and when you're living life, whatever you're doing, whatever your role may be, whatever your title may be, I hope you don't act like someone who lives in this world, but as someone who's been with me. And the way I want to, I want to give you an illustration. I heard this before, and I think it's the best illustration ever. It may it stick with me. So this is Easter time, right? We have Easter egg hunts, right? You ever been to Easter egg hunt? Anybody, right? Easter egg, anybody? Raise your hand if you've been to Easter egg hunt with you. All right, perfect. Now, they call them Easter egg hunts. I'm not sure why they do that, because all they do is throw thousands of le- eggs in the grass, and you don't really hunt anything at all, right? Like, it's just like this mass, mad mass of eggs, tens of thousands of eggs everywhere. But I will tell you this. There's no place... Now, I've been in church where there's more entitlement than the Easter egg hunt. And if you know what I'm talking about, right? So you go to the Easter egg hunt, and there's a bunch of people there, and you got some area for the big kids, and you got some area for the young kids, and they're all like, they're all like pushing their way to the very front, right? They're like, they, I got to get to the front, right? I got to get to the front. And you got parents there. You got kids there. You got, they're fighting. And, and at some point, someone says, Go. And all of a sudden, it looks like this. Today we Easter egg hunt. And they go out into that field. And last year, I, I was the one that said go. And I'm kidding you not. Like, I'm standing here looking at the kids. And I have to, like, it's the running of the bulls, right? I got to get out of the way as soon as I say go. And then they start going after these Easter, egg, Easter eggs. And they all go. No, no kidding. Like, they will literally go for, like, their first five in the front row, right? I don't know why. So you got hundreds of kids going for the first five eggs. And they're pushing each other out of the way. You got moms, like, and dads who are like, I got to get these Easter eggs for my kids. Like, well, did you pay for any of these Easter eggs? No. Did you uh, do anything for this Easter egg hunt? No. But I'm entitled to these eggs. I get these eggs. I'm here. I showed up at 1029, even though it started at 1030. I pushed my way to the front, and I'm entitled to these Easter eggs. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you will like that, right? In two weeks, we're going to see some of you parents acting like this, right? And and this is going to be your profile picture on Easter, right? And I think that's a great illustration of how we live. I'm entitled. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's below me. I don't, I don't have to do that. No, no, no. I'm better than them. Look at my house. Look at my car. Look at my title. Look at how I live. Look at my family I come from. I'm better than them. So that's what we're going to look at. And Jesus is going to do something in a moment. We're going to skip to, if you've got your Bibles... This is where it really gets good. Go ahead and turn to John chapter 13, if you got your Bibles. 
In John chapter 13, if you don't have your Bibles, you can pull out your phone, you can look at the screen. John chapter 13 starts off as what we call the Last Supper, and often we go back to the Last Supper um, before Easter because a lot of pivotal things happen, a lot of, a lot of pivotal teachings, a lot of fundamental teachings, a lot of fundamental actions happen during this time period uh, that happens in the Last Supper. It's the Last Supper because... It's the last time Jesus is with his disciples, all of them, right? And all 12 of them, because Judas is about to go off. So they're in the upper room, and they're probably hiding out a little bit because Jesus knows that they're looking for him, and Jesus knows he doesn't have much time left. And so he's eating with them, and there's tension in the room. There's tension on Jesus' part because he knows that what's about to happen. There's tension because he knows that Judas has already agreed to betray him. There's tension because of the disciples, that they've already fought about who's the best and who's the least and all of that thing. And so there's tension, but they're eating and they're celebrating the fast uh, the passover and in these four or five cha- these three or four chapters in the last supper Jesus teaches them many things but what he will do at the very beginning of this supper at the very beginning of this time will be something that was so out of the normal so bizarre that the disciples will never forget it so let's check it out it was just before the passover festival Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So he's like, listen, I know this is what's going to happen. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So he's talking about the disciples. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon, Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So this is just where the, the gospel writer John, he's just talking about the gravity of the situation, the, the tension of the situation. What, what is going on? Jesus had already agreed to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that this is the last time with his disciples. It says that Jesus loved his disciples to the very end. And they, it continues in verse 3, and it says this. Jesus knew that the Father, and this is such a cool line, it says Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his, what's this word? Power. So Jesus has the title, He has the status and he has the authority, right? Everything under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So I want to talk about this. I want you to think about if this was you. Not that you're the son of God, but I want you to think about if this was you. What would you do when you realize that you have all the most power in the entire world? What would you do when you have the most power? I want you to put yourself in this situation and you know that the man who betrayed you that's going to lead to your death is sitting in the same room at the same table as you and about to eat in the same meal as you. What would you do? What would you do when you know you have all the power and all the authority and the people that are going to kill you are in the very city you are in? What would you do? What do you do when you feel like you have status over someone? What do you do when you feel like you have authority over someone? What do you do when you know that when you think in your mind you're better than someone? What do you do when you have the highest title in your company, in your home, in in, in your sports team? What do you do? Most of the time, the answer is, I let it go to my head. I I mistreat people. I'm so focused, I'm obsessed with titles and status. I I think I'm better than other people. Often what we do with power and what we do when we feel like we're better or superior than other people is so unchristlike. it's not even funny, right? It, It goes to our head. So what do you do or what is your next move when you realize you've been entitled by God with all the power that exists in the world? So that's where Jesus is. Jesus knows that he has all the power is all the status, is all the authority, is all the fame. He's the most, not, the most empower, not the most powerful one at the table, not the most powerful one in the city, the most powerful one in the world. 
all the authority. What do you do? Right? What do you do? Let's see what Jesus did. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, it's just a robe, right? And wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I want to pay attention to that first word, so, so. So, it's, uh, I'm not an English major, but I call this a hinge word. Jesus has all the power and all the authority. And this word so tells us what comes next. And what Jesus does, and as disciples of Jesus, our goal is to do what Jesus does. So when we see words like so, or we see words like then, and we see words like and, as soon as you know, something's going on, pay attention to what happens. Because what Jesus is about to do, it's hinging. Do I use this power the wrong way, or do I use this power the right way? It's a hinge word. It can go either way. So what does he do? It says he got up. So he got up. What's the Savior of the world do? When he realizes he has all the power and all of the authority, he gets up, takes off his robe, and wraps a towel around his waist. Here's what he does. Your Savior, my Savior of the world, understanding he has all the power, all the status, and all the authority. What does he do? He gets up, and he takes the form of a servant. With all the power, with all the authority, he gets up, takes off his robe, a towel around his waist, and he takes the form of a servant. Not only does he get up, after he gets up, he kneels down and does, does what? He washes his disciples' feet. The greatest authority in the world, the world's greatest authority, became the world's greatest servant. Disciples wanted status and power. We want status, power, fame. Here it is, the man... The greatest man to ever walk this world, our Savior of the world, stands up, takes a knee, and washes his disciples' feet. Why is that such a big deal? Well, maybe you know this, maybe not. You know, we talk about it a lot at this time of the year, but the, it was custom at this time that when you would walk into someone's house, especially to eat, you would, they would get their feet washed. Well, why was that? Well, because they had sandals and they wore, walked on dirt roads, and uh, every once in a while they would... You know, I imagine they would walk across dirty things, animal dung and all kinds of stuff. And no one in here wants animal dung all over their kitchen or their living room, right? So as you walked into the house, there would be the lowest ranking servant at the door or somewhere in that house at the door, somewhere maybe by the time eating meal. And they would walk up to you and they would wash your feet. That's the first thing they would do. So you don't track, you know, you don't track dirt or animal dung over someone's house, right? So you would do that. And they would wash your feet. It's the lowest ranking servant. Lowest ranking servant. Lowest ranking servant. Lowest ranking servant. The most powerful one in that room that night of the 13 that were in there, 12 disciples plus Jesus equals 13, right? The one with the most power. The one with the most authority. So he gets up, takes off his robe, puts a towel around his waist and kneels down with his water and he starts washing his disciples' feet. Now, what no one talks about is that every single one of those men when they walked in that room would have seen the need. They all would have thought it was weird that there was no servant to wash their feet. So what they should have done is they should have saw that need and one of them 
should have got up and started washing their feet. The last person in the room who ever should have washed anyone's feet was the highest ranking one, regardless if it was Jesus or not. The last one in that room that night who should have washed anybody's feet was Jesus. They all should have seen the need. But none of them do anything. Well, why is that? Well, my, my opinion is this. They were obsessed with titles, and servant wasn't a title that they wanted to wear. They wanted power. They wanted authority. They wanted the fame. They wanted the verification on TikTok. They wanted the followers. And I think there's something about that that's in all of us. Well, that, that's not my job. That's, that's below me. I don't think, I, you know, I, I, don't, I think I'm a little too, we would never say that, but I think I'm a little too good to do that. And I think there's something in all of us. I remember in college, we, we had to take these mission trips. They were called, when I got there, they called Week of E, and then they became restoration trips. And you would go, and some of the trips would be in the local areas, and maybe Lincoln. Some would be in the, in the country. Some would be out of the country. In one year, many years, I, I took a trip to New England. And one of the, you know, we would go out to New England for a week, and it would be right around the Easter time. And you would help the church do things throughout the week. And you would help with the Easter egg hunt, right? I've done a lot of Easter egg hunts, and a lot of crazy parents at the Easter egg hunts, so we do that. But throughout the week, we'd be given these random tasks. In one year, we were given this task to clean a house. On the surface, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. It was a hoarder's house. And I remember walking into that house, and the first thing that hits you is the smell. Now, I'm a smell guy. If something stinks, something smells bad, it is not above me to start throwing up or start gagging right away. And that's what I did, right? Especially if I'm hungry. So I walk in that house and it smells so bad. You can see kind of like mold, mold looking stuff on the walls. On the floors, there was all kind of feces, animal feces, because there was cats everywhere. There was pets. It, it was crusted. The floor was crusted. It had like this layer of slime on it. The bathroom was, I don't even want to talk about the bathroom. It's, it's what nightmares are made of. The sink was full of garbage and, and, and dirty dishes, and the house is just disgusting. I'm like, no wonder they're sending a bunch of college kids to do this. They don't want to do it, right? Like, yeah. And we're doing this. And like, we're supposed to do this with a smile on our face because we're the representations of LCU. Like, yeah, well, I don't see the president of the college here, right? No, I don't, right? But um, so we're supposed to clean this. So we're cleaning it. And I'm going to tell you, like, I'm mad. I'm, I'm not happy about this at all. One. I didn't wear the clothes to do this, right? Like, now I gotta throw these clothes out, right? And I'm a clothes guy, so I didn't like it at the time. And, and, but it was disgusting, and it was nasty. And so while we're doing this, I'm getting mad. I'm like, listen, I paid a good amount of money to go on this trip. Like, I, I pay, I'm paying to do this. I'm going to college, so I don't ever have to do something like this ever again. Like, I, I'm doing this, I don't think we should be here. Why should I live like this? Why should I do this? Like, that was what was on my mind. And I wish, you know, at that moment, I wish the whole, I could tell you, you know, the Holy Spirit came upon me and convicted me. and like, all right, you know what, I'm going to clean this house with a happy heart. That's not what happened. I hated it the entire time. And I probably let everybody on the trip know I hated it. And they hated it. And it wasn't until years later that like, I looked back and like, man, what a jerk. What a, what a baby. That's what I think looking back. But, but I think sometimes we, we live this way. Like, why, why should I serve? Why should I serve people? Why should we have a free store? Why should we help people who need help with rent? 
Why should I go clean someone's house? Why should I do things at church? We got full-time staff. Why should I live this way? Why should, why should I do this? And what I found in through, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand this. The answer to why you do this is in this text. It's because the Savior of the world gets up, picks up a towel, and he wears the title of servant. That's why we serve. That's why we live this way. That's why we're not obsessed with titles and status because our Savior picks up a towel and wears the title of a servant. And this posture, this, this attitude, this mindset was in direct contrast to the disciples and, and their hearts and their attitudes. They wanted power. They wanted status. So at this moment, Jesus is doing this. They feel about this big. And they're pushing back on it a little bit. And we see that with, because we, we kind of see what happens with Peter. So he comes to Peter and he says, when he came to Simon Peter, and this is what Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus, are you serious? You're going to do this? I've seen what those hands have done. I've seen those hands heal the sick. I've seen those hands perform miracles. I literally just watched you raise Lazarus from the dead. And you think I'm going to let those hands wash my feet? No, Jesus, no, not a chance. Well, Jesus replied this in verse 7, you, don't, you do not realize what I'm doing. He's like, you think I'm just doing a ceremony. You think I'm just doing it because the job needs to be done? No, I'm doing this because I'm teaching you something. I'm changing your mindset. But later you'll understand it. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So she's like, you don't understand. Peter's like, you're not doing this. And she's like, listen, if you don't allow me to do this, and you can go deep theological in this, it's this idea that Jesus needs to continue to work in our lives, continue to clean us. And, and but Peter, he's like, Peter, you don't, if you don't let me do this, you don't understand who I am. You don't understand what's going on. And so then what happens next is Peter says this. He says, then Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, because Peter's an extremist. He's kind of like me. He's like, he's all in or out, all out. He's like, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He's like, give me a bath. He's like, don't just wash my feet. Let's, let's do a sponge bath right here, right now, Jesus. Like, if that's what it means. And then, then Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, talk about G Judas, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that, was the, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. So not only is Jesus washing Peter's feet, he's washing J Judas's feet as well. So this whole thing is just crazy. Everybody's mind is blown. And then in verse 12, it, it kind of, Jesus says this. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And then this is what every teacher does. Do you understand what I've done for you? Like the teacher, like you're done doing a math equation. Like, do you understand what I'm doing? I'm like, no, I don't even know what class this is. Like, no, Jesus, we don't understand what you're doing. We don't understand anything about this. Like, we don't get this. And Jesus knew they don't understand. And he's probably like, man, did I pick the 12 worst disciples or what? He's like, man, they don't know nothing. And, and then he says this, okay, listen, here's what I'm doing. Sorry, go back to verse 13, Peyton. It says, you call me teacher and Lord. And rightfully so, for that's what I am. 
He's like, I know you're, you're obsessed with titles. You know my titles? I'm teacher. I'm Lord. I, because I wear those titles. Because I have the authority. I have the power. That's who I am. So I wear those titles because that's what I am. So he continues in verse 14 to teach him. He's like, those are my titles. So understand what I do with my titles and my position. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, mindset change here, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And I love this phrase right here. I have set for you an example. And he's not figuratively, he's not literally saying we should go wash each other's feet. Like, I'm not going to make y'all do that. I'm not doing that, right? We're not. But what he's saying is like, listen, this is the mindset you should have. I have set, you, I have set the example for you. When you feel entitled, when you feel like your pride is getting the best of you, when you are an authority, when you don't feel like serving, when you feel like you, you have a, you're better than someone else because of your bank account, because of your house, because of the way you, you live, because of your, your college education, when you feel like any of those creep back into your mind, I want you to think back in your mind. I want you to remember the mindset I had with you on our last night on earth. I want you to remember, I have set an example for you. And I never, ever want you to forget it. I never want you to forget what you saw and experienced this night. I never want you to forget that the Savior of the world washed your feet on his last night on earth with you. And you know what? They didn't. Judas goes and betrays Jesus. And all the disciples desert him, but eventually, after Jesus raises from the dead, we, we get the insight to the early church. We get the insight to the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, you start seeing this tone, and you start seeing how the disciples live. And then you go back, and you look at history, and, and you see that Christians in, in this Roman and Greek empire that was all about status, was all about power, that Christians lived so countercultural. They lived almost with an upside-down mindset where they became servants. They, they live with a servant mindset. History tells us that as cities would, would get, the plagues would come in. And, and you know, when, when the plagues came in at this time in the world, there was no modern medicine like today. So they would, they would have to leave the sick people behind. And you know who would go in and take care for those sick people? The Christians. Why? Because they weren't scared of death because they knew who Jesus was. When kids would be abandoned, when parents would abandon their kids for whatever reason, you know who would take those kids into their community? Christians. When, when, people need, when they saw needs being met by people who were a little bit different than them, you know who would meet those needs? Christians, because they lived with a servant mindset. That, that was their mindset. And that needs to be our mindset. That needs to be the way we live. And so what if we did that? What, what if we decide, you know what, I'm going to live the way Jesus lived his last night on earth, last time with his disciples. It's not going to be natural. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. But what if I live that way? What if I created a, a new mindset? So here's the mindset we're going to live with. Here's a mindset for every single person. I am a servant despite whatever titles I may hold. I am a servant despite whatever's in my bank account. 
I am a servant despite whatever college degree I have. I am a servant despite however much you know, career success I have. I am a servant despite whatever titles I may hold. That I look at other people and I look at the way Jesus lived and I am a servant. I'm a servant in my marriage. I'm a servant in my career. I'm a servant in whatever environment that I'm in. I am a servant. Why? Because the Savior of the world got up, took off his robe, put a towel around his waist, and washed his disciples' feet. I am a servant. There's this book I read years ago, and it talks about the, three, the two rules of Disney. There's two rules. I call them three rules. I'm going to add to the first one. The first rule I add, Disney's number one rule should be make as much money as I possibly can from parents of young child, young children, right? That's the first rule. And the second rule, the first rule officially is like everyone celebrates. Everything's a celebration. The second rule, the second Disney rule that is famous is this rule. Everyone picks up trash. And the rule of Disney is this, no matter if you're the CEO or you're the lowest ranking employee, yes, they have janitors, yes, they have full-time people who pick up trash, but the rule is this, that when you walk by a piece of trash, no matter who you are, when you work for Disney, the rule is you must pick it up. And I love that, right? That's the Disney rules, right? And you can go ask employees who work there, they will know about the Disney rule, everyone picks up trash. So I'm going to create a new rule for RSCC, because here's what's going to happen. Every time I talk about serving, someone's going to come up to me and they're going to say, hey, where can I serve in the church? And I'm going to tell you this right now, and I'm not, I don't do this often, the number one area for the last two years that we struggle as a church is getting people to serve. People have not, not come back from COVID and served. I'm not trying to guilt you, I'm just telling the reality, people have not served. So we need to get, we need servers in every single area of the church. I'm not kidding. Every area we need servers. But there's another rule that I want to create besides just serving at church because we can easily say, well, I just serve at church, but that's not the mindset. The mindset is that I'm a servant no matter what I do. Everywhere in life, I live with this way. So here's the new rule. Maybe we need to make t-shirts with it. Here's the rule. Less ego, more towel. Right? It's easy. Less ego, more towel. That starts, that starts with me. That starts with you, but less ego, more towel. You want to transform your marriages? Less ego, more towel. Want to transform your team? Less ego, more towel. You want to really see God work in your life? Less ego, more towel. So the question becomes today as we end, what's your servant towel look like? How dirty is it? Or are you just carrying that thing around, putting it in your back pocket, and like, hey, it's just here for decoration? I just want people to know I go to church. Yeah, I wear my sweater, my RSCC sweater. I'll post Bible verses. But I'm just going to carry that towel and never use it. What's your servant towel look like? What's your servant towel look like? Because for most people, we'll trade in status and power for the way Jesus called us to live. I want to end with just one verse because I'm talking too long already. So I want to end with this verse as the worship team comes up here. Here's the, here's the verse. For even the Son of Man not come, did not come to be served. Did not come to be served, but to serve. So Jesus served. Why do we serve? Because the Son of Man came not to serve, but to be served, and gave his life as a ransom for many. We follow a Savior who says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And as disciples, we have that mindset. Less ego and more towel. Less titles and status, less power. Don't be concerned with that, and more servanthood. Why? Because the Savior of the world who loves us with the most authority, most power, came to, to serve us. And ultimately, he served each and every one of us without even realizing when he went to the cross and died for each and every one of us. The world's greatest authority became the world's greatest servant.
who became the world's greatest sacrifice, who defeated the world's greatest enemy, death, because of us and for us. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for who you are, so thankful for what you give us, so thankful for what you do in our lives. God, and I pray that we have less ego and more tau, less ego, more tau, that we take the posture of a servant and we have the mindset that we are servants no matter what titles we wear. God, we love you. We're so thankful for you and what you do in our lives. And if there's anyone here who wants to step in this relationship with, with Jesus, the Savior of the world, and be baptized today, God, we would love to meet him in the back of this room. It's in your name we pray. Amen. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app. Or follow us on any social media platform at RSEC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.